Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Happy New Year 2020 to all of the School of Travel's listeners out there. I hope you've had a great start to your 2020 and are feeling confident and excited for the year to come. A friend of mine actually sent me a message this week and said, welcome to our fifth decade, which shocked me. And I told him, I feel like we should be in our 50s now since you're saying that. But listeners, I'm only 37, just so you all know. But I have entered my fifth decade and I'm happy to be here. This week on the podcast, I have the great pleasure of finally getting to interview two other podcast hosts, my good friends, Ryan Ferguson and Amanda Kingsmith, hosts of the World Wonders podcast, which debuted in August 2014. As someone who's only been a podcast host for a year and a half, Ryan Amanda, I totally salute you for going for more than five years. It's truly incredible. And if you want to check out their podcast, you can find them at the World Wonders wherever you get your podcasts. I met Ryan and Amanda back in 2017, which Amanda will explain and go into detail about in the podcast. But I've now had the opportunity to meet up with them three different times around the world. And every time Time just seems to get sweeter, including our recent trip out for Ryan's birthday to see Lucha Libre, or Mexican wrestling in Mexico City. I highly recommend that, listeners, if you do get down to Mexico City. It's great. It's so entertaining. Ryan and Amanda are going to share how they defied living a conventional life again and again after graduating from college and built a life on their own terms, where they can now live anywhere they want and not have to keep returning to Canada and getting jobs to save up again for their next adventures, you know, et cetera, lather, rinse, repeat. A lot of people do that. And I think if you listen to their story, you can kind of find a way to possibly fall into work that you can keep doing while you're on the road. It definitely wasn't easy for them. And the whole time they were traveling, they were together. So they also have some great tips for how to not kill your partner while traveling on the road and also learning how to communicate more effectively. I love this interview with Ryan and Amanda, and I'm really grateful that we were able to make time for it in Mexico City. Now, without further ado, here are the World Wonders, Ryan and Amanda. Welcome to episode 29 of the School of Travels podcast. And today I am so excited to bring you another couple on the podcast, Ryan and Amanda of the World Wonders. Hello, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Becky. It's awesome to be on your show. It's awesome to be on episode 29. It's currently the 31st, but the 29th with the the other day, which was my birthday, so I feel like it's fitting. Yes, yeah, and I'm so glad. Are you 29, Ryan? I mean, do you want to say how old I used to be 29 <laughs> until the 29th. <laughs> Guys, by the way, it's Halloween. We're, so, we're having a Halloween recording here, which is so cool. Yeah, and we're in Mexico City, which is awesome. Yeah, we're about to celebrate Day of the Dead, so this is so cool. By the way, could you share with my listeners how we met? I think it's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, for sure. So I was connected with Brittany Felix from the Unconventional Life podcast. I don't, she's not doing that podcast anymore. She shifted gears a little bit, but you and I were both a part of her travel community and I had written something about going to Myanmar, being in Myanmar, and you were going to Myanmar. And so she connected us like, hey, you guys should connect. Maybe you'll be there at the same time. Turns out we weren't there at the same time. I think we were there before you. But I sent you all of our recommendations and then found out that you were this super cool American living in Japan. And I was like, well, we're coming to Japan in April. Can we interview you for our show? We had an awesome conversation with you about Japan, picked your brain about all the things. And then you were there when we got there in April of 2017. And you showed us around Japan, which was so fun. And so I feel like that like solidified our friendship. And then when we were living in Mexico City, you came through here to visit two other friends. And so this is our second time meeting in person in Mexico City, third time seeing each other around the world. So kind of a cool story. Yeah, I really think like our friendship shows that you can make these friends on the road as we're all just living these digital nomad type of lives and you can get these deeper and deeper friendships as you go along. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I feel like for us when we started, which was in 2017, really, although it's kind of... 2016. Yeah, we kind of yeah started traveling and working in 2016. Um, and what, being lonely was kind of one of the bigger things we were dealing with. But now like three years later... We have you know, friends like yourself and so many other people who have been connected through like random things and you meet one place and you meet another place and another place and you kind of feel like you get that community, but it definitely does feel like it takes a while. 
Right. And now it feels great. Like two to three years in. Yeah. You guys probably feel sometimes you have to turn down invitations. (laughs) (laughs) We're not that popular. (laughs) It's really cool though. Like we had plans, you know, this leg of our trip to be in Mexico City, not having any idea that we would have any friends here at at that time, other than a couple of people that we know in Mexico City from when we lived here. And then you were like, hey, I'm going to be in Mexico City. And then our mutual friends, Sasha and Rachel from Grateful Gypsies, were also going to be here. So uh, it's just cool how those things work out where it's like you end up landing in the same place as somebody without necessarily even having planned it beforehand to meet there. Yeah. So guys, I, I want to take you way back now to how you even got into this lifestyle, but how you got traveling in general. And I know that you didn't always know each other from uh, those early travel years, but let me start with Amanda. Amanda, how did you like get interested in travel itself and getting on the road? What sparked the idea for you? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in a really small town in Western Canada in Alberta, and I lived a very... I don't know, normal small town Canadian girl life for, for a good chunk of my, my years growing up. I went to Disneyland and then when I was 12, so I guess like 2000, 2001, um, my family took a trip to Mexico and it was the first time my parents had been to Mexico and it was just this experience that opened my eyes for the first time to like accents and that people lived in different houses than we do in Canada and that people dress differently and there's different food and all these different things and I think from that moment I was like I want to do more of this yet I was kind of tied to the confines of you know what my family wanted to do so we did a lot of all-inclusives and more vacations things like Disney World you know Mine Riviera that type of thing and then when I graduated from high school I went straight to university but I made a promise to myself that I would do more travels after I finished university And along the path of university, I met Ryan, we started dating, and he happened to be aligned with my travel goals, which I think was great, fortunate for both of us. And we ended up doing that first kind of big backpacking trip together. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what what got me going. How about you, Ryan? Where did you start this travel love? Yeah, so I think for me, it was kind of similar to Amanda in growing up in a small town, I think. So different part of the country, I was in the middle of British Columbia in like, I feel like an actual proper small town uh, <laughs> instead of like a suburb small town. Mine, it was like 10,000 people. Yours is like 500. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. And so also just being far from a city, like it was like Vancouver was four and a half, five hours away. So growing up a place like that, I think you just kind of know instinctually like life is elsewhere. Um, and for me, I think you, you kind of get like two types of people there. People who are just like, okay, you know. I'm happy here. I'm going to stay here. Or like, I want to get out of here as soon as possible. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But, um, I just kind of knew and as far back as I can remember, like, okay, as soon as I turn 17 or 18, I'm going to leave and always thinking about places to go and wanting to do things and wanting to go places and like, watching movies or looking at the TV and just thinking like, oh, it'd be so cool to go there. That was such a huge inspiration for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, as I don't ever remember like not feeling like that and just kind of in my head, it was like, as soon as grade 12 is over, I'm leaving. Do you have a movie that you remember watching that was like super inspirational? You're like, I have to go and see that. It was actually kind of interesting. I I don't know if I'd say this would be the one, but I had a, I took an ancient civilizations class in grade 11 uh, in high school with a really, really cool teacher. Um, and just like such a cool guy and we would watch movies for like the places we were learning about so we actually rewatched uh, the last samurai recently oh. because we did a section on like the samurai period in japan and we watched the last samurai and we did a bunch of cool stuff and he was really focused on like instead of the normal academic way of like we're just going to teach you bland boring information it was like yeah i'll show them the most exciting the most engaging stuff because what i want to get them to be is interested in. I don't really care if it's like perfectly accurate. I more so generated um, a spark of excitement. And so watching that movie was like, oh, that's so cool. And I remember also with sports, like I was always really into sports thinking like, oh, it'd be cool to go to Wimbledon or it'd be cool to go watch a football game in New York, that type of thing always stuck with me. So growing up, I was like that. And then yeah, in college, always kind of my plan was, okay, I'm going to finish college and then I'm going to go backpacking somewhere. And then Amanda and I met in college. How did you guys meet exactly? So we had, we had, it's actually funny, we lived in the same residence building in our first year of college, but didn't really know each other. And then we both moved out into houses with friends. So in Canada, the fraternity system is like there, but not really 
similar to it is in the U.S. It's much less of a thing. Um, it's more common people like live in residence in the first year of university and then move off campus and like get a house with friends type of thing. And so I moved in with four guy friends from the same floor in college, one of whom actually went to high school with three, three of the girls that Amanda ended up living with. So she ended up moving into a house that was about five minutes walking from where I was with four girlfriends from various floors in the same residence building. And so then our groups of friends started um, just kind of hanging out together. We'd like go to events, party, that type of thing. It's actually kind of funny because one of my roommates is now married to sure, one, one of Amanda's roommates. And then we're married as well. Yeah, so. you guys just got married just, what, a, a month ago? Two months two ago? Two months ago, yeah. Yeah, we might talk about that later, but <laughs> Yeah, and so amazing. had this idea of like, okay, going to go traveling after college and had done a bit of traveling with my family growing up. We went to Australia at one point, Hawaii at another point. And that first trip uh, as kind of like an independent adult, so 21 years old, we went to Iceland and then to London was our first stop and we went to Wimbledon on like that was, first day in London. This is the backpacking trip you were talking yeah. about? Yeah, in and yeah. just uh, for me, I feel like I explain it with this feeling of feeling alive. And yeah, for me it was like, feeling like alive for the first time because you know you grow up you're stuck on that conveyor belt of go to school you got to get good grades you go to college you go to college you got to get good grades whatever and so finish college and you're kind of staring in the face of like what what am I doing with my life I have to get a job but that six months of traveling was really just like a transformative really magical experience of like really enjoying being alive for you know extended period of time and having so much fun and so for me that was like okay I, I don't I just need to do more of this. And so we came back and maybe I'll stop telling this story because it's going <laughs> to keep, keep going for a while. But yeah, came back home after that and started our careers and just knew like, okay, we need to find a way to incorporate travel into our lives because of that first travel experience just being so awesome. So how long was that first backpacking trip? It was six months in total. We did three months in Europe, six weeks in Southeast Asia, and six weeks in Australia and New Zealand. Wow, you really covered a lot and gave yourself a good taste of everything, I think. Yeah, yeah. went fully around the world. And we really were not ready to come home. Uh, something that's interesting about Canada is that you're not, you kind of like become a non-resident after six months. It's kind of a gray area, but we were very much like, oh, we have to come back at the six-month point because we can't get our travel insurance after that. And then it was also, I think we got home maybe 10 days before Christmas and neither of us had ever been away for Christmas at that point. So it was very important for both of our families that we come home, but we were dirt broke when we got home. It was kind of like need to find a job immediately because we have no money. <laughs> and maybe it hadn't, you hadn't even thought about the possibilities at that point, 2011 about, oh, maybe I can start working. No, yeah, not <laughs> yeah. at all. It's only, so we actually met... So I had read the four-hour work week in like maybe third year of college. Um, and then while we were traveling that first trip, we actually met someone in Switzerland, in a hostel in Switzerland. He was a programmer working remotely. Um, but in my mind at that point in time, that was like so far outside of the realm of possibilities that I didn't really even consider it. Now when I look back, I'm like, oh, that's kind of like an impactful experience. But because he was like big into the four-hour work week, he'd read it, he kind of like knew everything about it. He's like, I've got a VA, I'm working as a programmer. Wow. Um, but for me, I was like, oh, that would have been cool if I had taken computer science or something. But I, I think a lot even... of people tell themselves that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because it was, yeah, so far from, it, in my mind, kind of two things, like not having that mindset of like, hey, I could like figure out how to do anything I want to. And also just like different time where technology wasn't the same. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to kind of think back on that trip because we traveled with, you know, a paper guidebook and oh. neither of us had phones with us on that trip. We both had Blackberries at that point and we left them at home because there wasn't the possibility of just using them on Wi-Fi. So I had, you know, an, an OG iPad and I think Ryan had like a iPod that you could do some emailing on Wi-Fi and I remember a lot of hostels didn't just have Wi-Fi you had to pay extra if you wanted to use it so it was kind of like you know every couple days we might get Wi-Fi it was very very different on that first trip compared to you know even our next trip which was 2014 and certainly much different from how we are now where we're constantly connected with sim cards and always having internet and we work everywhere we go yeah, I think it, this kind of working as you go has just become so much more possible within the last three to four years. Yeah, especially. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't download 
at least I don't think you could download like the offline apps and stuff like that. Like it was just, yeah, quite, quite different. And it, it wasn't that long ago, but I feel like the remote working opportunities and just the way that the world is digitally has just like, if it was a chart, it would be a serious upward trend in terms of possibilities. Yeah. I remember one thing that was like always kind of stressful for us at that point was being in Europe. So things are more expensive. We were not making any money. So we always had to take public transportation and we'd have our big backpacks and always need to like pull up the map in advance. So like on my iPhone, I'd have the map app. Not your iPhone, your iPod. Or, yeah, sorry, I had an iPod touch, <laughs> if anybody remembers. So, he was a visionary. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think iPhones had just come out. Or I think just the briefly iPhone 3 was out. But anyway, so I'd pull up the map on the Wi-Fi at the hostel and then like leave. And sometimes it would like, it would stop working because it's like not connected. It would try to connect or something and you lose your directions. We'd like remember, screenshot like the directions that Hostel World had sent us like on my yeah, iPad yeah. and then we'd be like one backpack on, little backpack on the front and I'd like stealthily pull out my iPad because I was like so sketched out about it getting stolen. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like pull it out and like be like, okay, one left, two rights, this block. Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I remember, so Hostel World, when you book a hostel, they have to write in the directions uh, in there and then they email it to you. And then, yeah, we actually have to like rely on that, which seems like ridiculous now, especially because it's 2011. Like, it's not that far away. But ago. I remember it was like a point of tension because we'd have like these 20 kilo bags on our back be done with a long day of travel and we just be like angry with each other because we're trying to follow these ridiculous directions that have often been like translated from like French or Spanish or whatever and it's like on the left there's a yellow building turn right there <laughs> and it's yeah it's it's funny to think about. Were there any other um, adversities that you faced on that first trip that you remember like do you feel like that made you grow or that surprised you? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was quite a bit of growth that happened on that trip. Like, for me, it was the longest that I had been away from home because the university that we went to was in the University of Calgary, and I'm from a small town outside of Calgary, so my family was only, like, 30, 30, 45 minutes away, so I didn't really move that far. Um, It was the type of thing where I could still go home for dinner pretty much whenever I wanted type thing, and... Yeah, being outside of Canada for six months was definitely hard at points. I mean, I had just moved out of living with my four best girlfriends for four years. So I feel like not having this like regular group of friends was tough. I remember we were, we drove through Australia in a van. And so we were like living van life for like six weeks, (laughs) which is, you know, a whole other thing. But we went out to this, on this party bus thing in on the Gold Coast, I think it was, and I just remember being like, I am so tired of, like, going to bars with people that I don't know and I don't trust. Like, I just kind of miss, like, my group of friends, and I think that that was some of the stuff that was hard at that point, was just being away from friends and family for that long, and honestly, I think that that's something that everyone should do. It's, like, some of probably the most impactful growth for me as a young person, and something that I've carried with me over the last couple of years, but that was definitely challenging. Yeah, I think for me, just so much stuff. Um, when I think back to that, and especially in contrast to time in university, I think I definitely learned way more in those six months of travel than I did in the four years of university. Wow. Um, some big things, so like I think for us, as far as our relationship went, that mm-hmm. was like a really important growth thing. You have a lot of moments of like, tension that come you know we were like young and had only spent time together you know in in university dating and then so like actually spending time together and having to overcome challenges is like minor as it might be like finding a way to hostel getting onto a train all these things kind of you have to learn how to deal with conflict um, in a way that you don't really know how when you're when you're young when you're dealing with running out of money together that's another thing yeah and I think so much about identity so like you know, you go from high school to college and you find your identity like in a group or a social circle. And so traveling by yourself out of your country for the first time, I feel like it helps a lot with and it challenges you a lot in terms of like, like, who are you? Are you like a Canadian person? Are you, um, you know, a sports fan? Like, what is it that, like, how do you identify, especially because you're meeting and talking to so many people in different situations and it's changing and you're learning about how people stereotype people based off the countries they're from or how you personally stereotype people when you're meeting them in hostels 
learning about languages, learning about how money works in different countries or how prices can be different in different countries. Um, yes, so, so much stuff. And I think maybe the biggest thing for me was also being more of an introvert. Um, staying in hostels for six months, you get like so much practice talking with people. And I think one of the biggest changes for me was just feeling so much more comfortable having conversations after that time because of just having so much practice with them. Yeah, I think that's like when we got home, people from our group of friends were like, wow, like Ryan's really like stepped out of his, his shell a little bit because I always forget how shy you were um, back oh. then. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was good growth for you. And I think in terms of like, I'm a natural extrovert, so we're quite opposite in terms of our, our personalities. But it was interesting for me to kind of spend all my time with somebody who's like, I need space like I need you to not talk to me right now so I feel like we did a lot of growing together but also individually that was influenced by each other because it was like I learned how to be a bit more introverted and he learned how to be a bit more extroverted so lots of lots of good growth wow so you had six months there you said and then you went and start and got jobs back in Canada and you say for three years you were before you went on another two years two years, two years which feels in my head a lot longer than two years like looking back on it now I'm like two years of a career is not that long but at that point it just felt like it was going on forever um, like I said before we were really really broke we had basically no money I think my mom actually co-signed on our down payment or our deposit for our apartment that we were renting because we didn't have the money or jobs to prove that we would have any money so that's kind of like the the financial position we were in at that point which you know, thankful that she was able to help us with that. But we just kind of got the first jobs that came to us. And I think that that's really normal as a young person when you don't have much work experience. But I think the biggest learning from that time was, at least for me, was I want more out of my career. I just felt like I don't feel like my life can just be like this till I'm 65 and I retire and then I collect a pension. I was trying to bring in all the things that I'd learned from our travels, but it just felt so hard when I was spending 40 hours of my week doing something that I wasn't fulfilled in doing. And whenever I finished my work, I would just be Google searching things like, oh, maybe I should go back for a master's or do my MBA, or maybe I should go volunteer in Africa, or you know, maybe I should start a travel blog and that's how we can travel the world indefinitely. And just spent a lot of time trying to look into other options. So it sounds like you love travel so much. Your head was never where you were back in Canada. You were ready to the road was calling you or yeah for sense. sure I think it was that and then also just like kind of how Ryan said like feeling alive for kind of the first time like don't get me wrong we had a lot of fun in college and those years were really great but it's like just a different sort of feeling alive like and they this... have to end the college years. yeah yeah totally. keep going with it. yeah yeah it's like the never it's like the more <laughs> it's like never never land right like it's yeah. really fun but then at some point you're like okay there's something more deeper and meaningful than just fun yeah yeah, and so I think that it was just like, okay, I know I experienced this thing traveling, so I feel like for me to feel like this again, I need to go traveling. And it was kind of on that second trip that we took where we're like, okay, how can we get this feeling from you know, the other things that we do? Like, How can we have careers where we get this feeling? Because on that second trip, we also really realized, I turned 25 on that trip, which is you know, as you know, kind of like a weird age to turn where you're like, I'm halfway to 30. We can rent a car legally. Yeah, I can rent a car. <laughs> it's time to really the hit the road. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure. You're like not restricted by anything at that point. But it also at that point felt like kind of old, which is funny because now I'm 30 and I'm sure if we have this conversation when I'm 40, I'll be like, oh, 30 year old you, so stupid. Um, <laughs> but it was like, okay, like need to not be just you know, traveling, working jobs, they don't like to save money, spending all the money. Like there needs to be like another way to make this more fulfilling and sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess for me, I think something I think back to is going through that process of getting that job. Um, I think my views on work were like not correct. And I think one of the things, and this maybe is a tangent, but I think college university do a terrible job of preparing you about like how to think about a career and think about work. It's much more of a like, oh, you've got this piece of paper, so you deserve a certain income. Don't really teach you about how to properly think about it. So anyways, um, <laughs> starting that career and thinking, like, there was some cool stuff about it, right? Like making a pretty solid income after being really poor from spending all our money traveling, but also, like, college jobs. 
um, beforehand never really having that sense of like, hey, I'm paying my insurance payment, my TV payment, my rent, and I've got a bunch of money for other things. Like we can go out to the bar on a weekend. We can go for dinner. Yeah, we can go for a nice dinner. We can like order drinks at restaurants. <laughs> like you can order an appetizer maybe. I don't uh, have to like bring ranch in my purse yeah, it's or not, my wings. It's not like, hey, I'm going to yeah just order the cheapest drink and like the cheapest food option. So it was really cool. But then after pretty, pretty quick, it kind of set in of like, oh, is this it? Like... Am I just going to do this? That for the rest feeling. Of my career? And I, I think the place that. I was working, which I am really grateful to have that opportunity um, to get started with my career. I learned a lot there. But it was also the type of situation where there was a lot of people who had been working and for a long time in the same place. What kind of work were you doing? Uh, so I was working in like, essentially a bookkeeping job. Okay. Uh, it was like an accounting office of a, a larger construction company. Um, and a lot of people had been working there for a long time. And people who were kind of late in stage in their career, they're just thinking about retirement. And I think for me, that was like a really good place to be because it kind of challenged some of my, um, the ways I like saw the world. I think I was a little bit like status focused and it really challenged that. And also it challenged me to think about like what I want to do with my life because I'm seeing all these people who have really just had a comfortable life, but haven't really like chased anything. Uh, it's been kind of comfortable but for me at the time it was very scary I was like oh crap is this like yeah um, and I kind of because we were there for a couple of years fell into quite a bit of a funk um, and I think we both kind of thought about travel as like that one thing we could kind of look back on of like okay this period of time where we really felt like alive having this sense of agency over life and so really didn't even have a plan yet but we were like okay well, let's just quit and go traveling um, and it wasn't like, oh, quit traveling and start working towards being a nomad or quit traveling and then come back and move somewhere else. It was just like, we, we, need, just to, need, to get we just need to get out. And that was only the only thing on my mind when we decided to quit. And in, in 2014, we went to South America for six months again. Oh, okay. It sounds like you were, you just, you knew what you were passionate about, which was travel. And, and it was a thing that made you feel alive, like you said. And yeah. then it was like you just decided to follow what you knew made you feel alive and passionate and see what happened from there yeah. rather than staying in that one place just because it felt like society was maybe telling yeah. you you needed to end money, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's interesting too because with our first backpacking trip, you know, friends, family, everyone was pretty supportive because they're like, oh yeah, you're doing kind of like a gap year. And then when we were like, oh yeah, so we're going to like quit our jobs and sell all of our stuff and get rid of this like nice apartment that we have. And After just two years of yeah, back, yeah, yeah, like I was like kind of done with this. And my dad was sort of like, this isn't like how life works. Like you don't get to just like do this again. Like you already had your time type thing. And I was like, no, oh, we're doing it. Those messages are so discouraging sometimes. It's so hard to hear that. Yeah, I remember reading an article beforehand about I don't remember the premise. It was kind of about how like timings of recessions affects people's career. And it's like, oh, if you lose uh, a couple years of experience early on in your career, it drastically affects your income earning potential over your lifetime, which may be true statistically, but it's also just a terrible perspective to, to have in terms of like thinking about individuals pursuing their own careers. Um, but I remember being really afraid at that point in time. Like it was the motivation to get out was so strong that it wasn't going to change it. But I remember like thinking like, Oh, what if I come back and can't find a job? Like what if my life's kind of like ruined? Um, because it definitely wasn't that support around in terms of like, had this been a legitimate choice to make as a 24 year old. And yeah. we didn't have like a group of friends that were doing this. Like we had met lots of people on our first backpacking trip that we were friends with on Facebook and stuff. But most of them had done the same thing as us. Like they were on, you know, a one to six month trip. And then, you know, they went home and found jobs or continued working their jobs and that sort of thing. Like, yeah, we didn't really have any like quote unquote nomad friends at that point. We didn't have anyone who was like traveling indefinitely. And so I think that it's like, it was really scary at that point because all the messaging we were getting was like, this is a bad move. This is going to put you behind in your career. You might never get a good job again, which looking back now is, is, definitely seems very silly to me but but it was like you know we just didn't know but I think that we both just kind of trusted this like gut instinct of we got to get out we got to make a change and just like went with that 
so how was South America when you got there? I mean, in that different perspective, like knowing that this was, I guess, six months or not, or how, if you had a certain amount of time you're going to do it, but it's a new, you're back in the world, in the travel world. Did it live up to what you thought it would be or? Yeah, it was amazing. I feel like that's probably like in terms of like life changing times, I feel like South America has probably been the most like impactful decision that we've made, but definitely that I've made not to speak for you, right? Yeah, I think it was, it was a good experience for me. I think especially really noticed how for me, there was like a long period of kind of de-stressing from work. Like it took like six weeks or eight weeks to feel like, oh, wake up in the morning, just energized and excited. It took a long time to get to that place. And then really just having that time to explore new things, but also just introspect, to journal, to think about life, think about kind of what had happened from that period of like feeling really excited and alive to feeling kind of down and in a funk. Um, so just having that time to think about it and get more clear-headed, I think was really valuable. And I think for me, something that was interesting about that second experience was the first time, I think it was much more like lighthearted fun. Um, the second time in South America, I did notice after a while feeling like a, a sense of purposelessness kind of nagging at me a little bit. Yeah. Like we were learning Spanish, which gave me that feeling of like, okay, I'm doing something, but also started to notice that like kind of desire to have something bigger and more meaningful um, which I think was really kind of good and interesting to be able to kind of see that and kind of learn that, okay, just like just traveling forever, like isn't one financially viable, but two isn't actually going to solve it. Um, I think for me, it kind of helped me to start to realize that just being self-directed in life, having a sense of agency and responsibility is like the, the real core part of me feeling happy and Travel is kind of an expression of that, but isn't like the entirety of it. So where did that lead you? Yeah, so we kind of got to a point, it was similar to our first trip, where we were kind of looking at the end of the trip and not feeling excited about it. It, was, it wasn't like, Aww. oh, hey, I'm going to be going home in two months and see my friends. I was like, oh, no, we only have two months left. <laughs> oh, God, we got to go home. <laughs> and so we started talking. I think for me, I don't remember what point it was, but it got to a point where I was like, I'm not going back. Like, I'm not going back to oh, it's on now. Calgary and like, the way things were. Um, and we'd met a few people. Again, traveling is a great way to meet people living other lives. And so we'd met a few people who had taught English in China, I think, or mm-hmm. maybe Korea. But we'd talked to a few people about teaching English abroad. And that kind of sparked in my mind, like, oh, that would be cool. Like, that's something I feel excited about. It doesn't feel like I'm just hopping back onto a career treadmill. And so we kind of talked about that idea. Amanda wanted to go back to Alberta. Um, and so we kind of like settled as a compromise on going to Canmore, Alberta, which is just outside of Banff National Park. Um, and about an hour from the city. Hour from Calgary, but also, yeah, kind of separate, more touristic town. We're like, okay, forget this whole like doing what we're supposed to do career-wise. We'll just get jobs and like enjoy ourselves. So we'll get like a cafe job or whatever. And so that's what we decided to do. Um, instead of going back and kind of restarting our careers, we were just like, okay, we're going to go here, spend a summer here, and then probably go try to find English teaching jobs somewhere uh, in Asia was our plan, which we never really got to. Um, <laughs> yeah, so but, we, yeah. yeah, we got to Kenmore, and I mean, this is already like, it's kind of like we've taken like a life U-turn in the eyes of like all the people who know us. Like, it's kind of funny. So we moved to this, we're like, okay, we're moving to this little mountain town, which is not that far from our friends and family. So it still felt to me like sort of a safe move. And I think Ryan would have been happy to move like much further, but I was like, no, I still want to be close to like my girlfriends and my family and stuff like that. And Ryan's dad was like, oh, are you going to like commute into Calgary every day? Are there good like finance jobs in Canmore? And he's like, oh no, like I got a job at a cafe. And his parents were kind of like, oh, and mine were very much the same way. I remember my brother calling me and I got a job at Lululemon, which is like a brand of leggings, essentially like yoga clothes. And my brother's like, you could be working like a six figure job at an oil and gas company in Calgary. Like, what are you doing making minimum wage? And I was like, I know I could be working that job. This isn't at this point about me not believing in my skills or my abilities. This is me making an active choice to do something different. And I think that, I think that that was a really hard transition period because it's really hard to believe in yourself when everyone else kind of feels confused about your move. And I get the confusion. Like I don't, 
I think it's hard when you're going through like live transition type thing to communicate to people what you're going through. You just do your best and they kind of do their best to understand, but it's confusing when they've always known you a certain way. But like it's I, your life. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. And I, I think that That's everyone just kind of expected that we were going to come back and do the same thing we'd done before, like kind of pick up where we left off. And then we came back and made this like radical change, which was super positive for us, but definitely, I think, confusing to some of the outside worlds. Um, but one of the things that's really cool about the little mountain town that we lived in, and specifically I worked at the Lululemon that's in Banff, is that Banff is super transient. And so it's a place that a ton of Australians and Germans and people from the UK come, they get working holiday visas, they do like a season there. It's super popular to do that. So it was kind of nice because we stepped into this environment where Nobody thought it was weird that I was 25 and I wasn't working a corporate job because they were all in the same spot. They were taking kind of like a quote unquote life break or like a time to kind of figure it out. So I feel like for us at that point, it was just like the perfect move and the perfect community to surround ourselves with to kind of figure out like what our next move was. And basically, like Ryan said, we got these jobs so that it wasn't so exhausting. I mean, you know, from working corporate, it's like you get home and all you want to do is like watch Netflix because you're exhausted mentally from your day. And we were like, okay, let's have jobs that don't exhaust us that way so that we can figure out what we wanna do. And it was at that point that we started The World Wanders. It was during that period of time that I got a part-time job at a yoga studio. I got my yoga teacher training. We both did some solo travel. Um, lots of kind of development happening there and lots of stuff kind of progressing us towards like, what do we actually want to do? I love that, that you gave yourselves the space and the time. You were making enough to support yourselves, but it, but you, yeah, like you said, you weren't exhausted and so much came from that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was interesting, like working more physically demanding jobs, but then like leaving and feeling way more energized. Like I remember my first office job, I'd come home and like, I don't know, maybe pick up some food along the way and just get home and sit in front of the TV because I was just like, I just wanted to like shut down like my body my mind just all felt exhausted and I remember like working at the cafe I worked at was super busy you'd run around for like eight hours sometimes ten hours and physically you'd be kind of tired but I'd get home and you're like oh, I'm gonna go for a walk I'm like energized I feel good and, and happy and all that I slept so much better when I had a physical job like yeah. that at the movie theater in yeah. high school than yeah the yeah. corporate jobs yeah it's funny um, but yeah so I think that was really good for us I think one of the big things I think we'd realized from those first years of our careers and traveling was that from where we come from, kind of like middle class upbringings, going to college is like not a question. It's not something you think about. It's like when you kind of feel like you, it's like the thing you do. Um, and I think for both of us, that idea of like how much money you make and how prestigious the job you have is what life's about. Like that's kind of the game for life. Like, and that's how you keep score. And that's why it was so kind of, I feel like hard for people to see what we were doing and think like, oh, these guys were kind of like on the winning track and now they became like losers because they're working, you know, service jobs, which is not what winners do. Um, but for us, it was like, okay, we were realizing that like, okay, that route doesn't actually make us happy. We're trying to do things that make us happy and found a different way of going about it for, you know, that period of time. Yeah, so the, you mentioned you started the World Wanderers podcast, which is how we really got connected, I would say, through yeah. loving podcasts. And yeah, how, how has that journey been, having this podcast? Yeah. yeah, I think it's been the single most valuable thing uh, in, I think, probably both of our lives. And not in the ways most people would expect. So we started it kind of on, a, you know, without like grand plans or anything. It was kind of just like an idea of a way for us to document our travels, talk, maybe get to talk to people we are interested in. Um, and we've been doing it now for five years. And it's, yeah, just brought us so many cool opportunities, whether it's been people we've interviewed um, and being able to connect with them. Like, you know, that's how we know each other now. And if we didn't have the podcast, we may still have gotten connected, but maybe not, um, especially because of the layers that got us there but also people who listen to our podcast, who we've then met up with. The skills we've developed through that podcast have led to other opportunities. Um, starting that podcast kind of, 
uh, led me to other like job opportunities and all sorts of stuff. You it's, do podcast editing yeah, as one of your jobs now, yeah. right? Yeah, and also, so while we were in Canmore, I found this like education program that I was really interested in, and I think a big part of the reason why I was like got in when I applied to it was because of having this like project that we had done and had been like middlingly successful to that point. So, mm-hmm. and then you ended up working for a job in Atlanta for a little while, and you were making a podcast for them as part of it, right? Or there was some connection. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. So what had happened was. We moved to Canmore, Alberta, this little touristy mountain town. We were working service jobs. And I think in my mind at that point, I was like, oh, I'm never like working an office job again. I'm just not doing it. I'm like completely done with it. Um, and then we had thought, okay, we're going to do this for a couple months, go to China. We'd really enjoyed it, so we decided to stay longer. Uh, and then I found this program that was called, and it is called, it's called Praxis. Um, and it's an education program that helps people get started with their careers or launch their careers or make career changes. Um, and they had an opportunity that was at a nonprofit that I was really interested in and they had a cool job opportunity. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was like, oh, this seems like the perfect job for me, even though I wasn't like interested in office jobs, um, just because of the mission of the company and the type of job and the fact that it was like moving to the States and the Southern States was like an adventure too. So I applied again, kind of like not really expecting it all to work out. He was like, I'm going to apply for this thing, but I feel like there's almost no chance that I get the job. Or if I do get the job, there's no chance I get the visa. And I was like, okay, cool. Like you do you. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> Sounds neat. I applied and then did the interviews and then got in. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I still don't think I'm going to be able to get a, a U.S. work visa. And so I tried a one way and that didn't work. And so I, I ended up getting like guaranteed the job that I was really interested in. And so... What ended up happening was I had to apply for a specific type of visa exempt status, which you can do when you go to the airport or the border. So I had to book a flight to Atlanta. I had like a start day at work. Um, and so I had to, I sold my car and some of my stuff and we, Amanda and I had figured out this plan, but it was kind of like, okay, either I'm going to get let through and be on a plane to Atlanta and then start work the next day, or they're not going to let me through, in which case... Uh, we've got we to like, figure out a whole new plan. Well, because we our lease was still up, and like <laughs> my work knew that I was leaving in a month, but I was like, I'm either going to Atlanta or our plan was to go to Central America. We were going to go to Nicaragua, I think the plan was. We'd had a friend who'd done like a cool yoga teaching thing at like a homestay or something, and I was, we were going to apply for that. Yeah, and so for this, uh, just a bit more context for people who are like, oh, that seems really weird that you wouldn't know. Um, under the free trade agreement between Canada and the U.S., there's certain types of jobs that you don't need a visa to do, um, professional jobs. And so if you're a dentist or an accountant or a lawyer, it's like basically as easy as like stamp you're in. But one thing the government doesn't do is nuance. And so there's all of these jobs that exist in kind of a murky gray area of like, what exactly is this title that the government defines? And what exactly is the job you're doing? And are they exactly the same thing? So there's a lot of jobs that theoretically would count but you don't really know because it's dependent on the individual border officer to make the decision wow. um, which is kind of just wonky to think about and so going in um, the immigration lawyer I was working with was like I think this will probably go but like you never really know until uh, you're just at the border yeah, so we did it ended up going um, really enjoying that experience getting checked out Atlanta and that was kind of like I think especially for Amanda our first like step on like digital nomad life yeah um, yeah, so for me, it was, so Ryan has this, this job in Atlanta, and he gets through, and basically it's like, I drive him to the airport, because we live, you know, an hour and a half from the airport, and I go for lunch with my grandma, because, like, I drop him off, like, four hours early, because he needs time to, like, either get approved or not, and I'm just waiting for, like, a text message that says, like, yay or nay, so I'm kind of like, okay, like, maybe see you in four hours, or, like, maybe see you in a month. And he gets through, so I get, like, the, the all the U.S. emojis that are available on the <laughs> iPhone to me that says, like, okay, got through the border. And so then at that point, I'm like, okay, you know, this is the action I'm taking. And so then I proceed to, like, you know, get our stuff down to everything that will fit into my car and get myself down to Atlanta. But the thing was is that the company I was working for couldn't transfer me. So if you work something more menial, like, retail job and you're in the lowest position – it's essentially like as a Canadian, I'd be taking that job from an American. This would no, be Lululemon. Yeah, there's point. no reason yeah. why Lululemon should hire me in the States when like they could hire somebody from their own country. So I was like, okay. 
whatever, I'm just gonna go anyways. I had some savings, so I drive myself down to Atlanta and set up life in Atlanta. And this is the first time that I was kind of really thrown into working remotely because basically I couldn't get employed. So not the way that I wouldn't necessarily suggest diving into digital nomad life. It's a little stressful, but it is one way to do it where you're like in a country where you literally cannot get a job because you don't have a social security number or a work visa or anything like that. I feel like now that's mostly what we do, right? Yeah. We we are in countries where we can't actually work in the system. Right. Like we can't walk into Starbucks in Mexico and ask for a job. Like they can't hire us because we don't have working visas. And that's, you know, the position I was in in the States as well, where I was like, okay, well, I need to figure out how to make this work. So I'd been working for a yoga studio for I think probably about a year at the point that I moved and me and the studio owner worked out that I could continue doing my management work remotely because I worked remote anyways, I just was in the town. Uh, So that started that and then we had the World Wanderers going, we were making a bit of money from that. I started another podcast on the business of yoga and really started building an online business around teaching yoga and helping yoga teachers build their businesses. And I feel like that kind of, it was basically like you're at the edge of a diving board and somebody just pushes you off and you just got to like figure it out when you hit the water because you don't have any other option other than to swim. There's no life raft. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I got started with, with nomad life. And once Ryan finished up the contract that he was on, so it's basically like, okay, you've been contracted for this long. And it's like the day the contract ends is the day America is like, you can no longer legally work here. Like, you are now a tourist. Um, I was kind of like, that's when you started remote work, too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is, did you say it was in 2016 that this... Yes. The, uh, we were in Atlanta from the fall of 2015 until June of 2016. Yeah. And then that's, yeah, the point where we're like, okay, we're doing this now. Like, we've got enough income to kind of, like tread water financially so if we can go places with low cost of living we can make this happen so we went back to canada for a brief period of time and then to asia to start off our like actual digital nomad life awesome and i know you guys went to chiang mai you went to bali like you had these you were going to some of these hubs and yeah it's been interesting to watch your progression from there and the world wonders has continued as well yeah it's funny we talked about it a little bit um but this idea so in that idea really started to grow kind of in 2014 with that South America trip of what if we could do both of these? What if we didn't have to feel this like we, enjoyment of travel mixed with terror of not having money or this it's satisfaction of making money mixed with like existential like boringness of not traveling? What if we could find a perfect balance? Um, and so when we started that trip in Asia, you're we like, this is it. Like This is going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. And kind of found out that it's like a whole different thing of, into it, uh, of itself. And so you have to figure out a new way to do it. But yeah, yeah, it was really, really uh, fun to start. And now three years later, which is funny too, because in our minds, when we talk about that first two years of our career, it feels like forever. It feels like this long, arduous period of time that we went through. But now we've been doing this for like, you know, 50% more time than we ever did that for. <laughs> time it, flies, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? But, but you do also, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As you get older, I think you have more context. Like when you're 21 to 23, it feels longer than when you're, you know, 27 to 30. But also it's just enjoyable. It's like not this feeling of like, oh God, Monday, got to wait till Friday. For us, it's like, you know, every day is a day we're kind of enjoying and doing something cool. Yeah, that's so great. And I have to ask, because you are this unique, I think, on the podcast, this this couple that has traveled since university together, how has like being with the other person on this journey impacted your travel, would you say? Amanda, I'm going to start with you. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throwing this like, question at Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. I think that, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on our podcast, but I feel like I'm really grateful for the time that we have had to spend together. I mean, we've spent like more time just the two of us than I think you know the average person spends with their partner and I think that that has allowed us to grow a ton individually and together and it's allowed our relationship to flourish in a lot of ways and there's definitely been you know moments where we both kind of want to rip each other's heads off but we've learned to work through that because it's like you know a lot of times we don't have like 
like I don't have my girlfriends here where I can just go, you know, bitch about how annoying my partner's being. And so how do you deal with that moment? Do you like just get away from each other for a little while or I guess everybody, I'm sure every couple handles this differently, but yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, sometimes it's like, I mean, this doesn't happen a lot anymore because I think we have really good like communication, but I think communication has been key of like, instead of letting these things fester and build up, we've learned to communicate in the moment. Like, Oh, when you said that, like, that doesn't make me feel good. Like, I don't, can you please not say things like that again? As opposed to like, you know, four comments building up and then having like an, an, I don't know, an argument about it. So I think that we've learned to communicate in the moment, but I mean, sometimes it's just knowing, like we know each other really well now and how we kind of like work together. But I think just knowing when the other person needs space is really important. Yeah. And something we had to like consciously work on. Um, I think it's kind of funny because some of the most important areas of life are the areas that people feel kind of like shouldn't be consciously worked on. Like, you know, consciously working on a relationship or like reading a book together about like how to communicate in a relationship, something that a lot of people resist. And I think we did at first. Um, well, it's like, oh, if you're going to be together, this should just be yeah, easier. Yeah, we have this idea that like there should be some sort of like unconscious, like magnetic chemistry that cosmic. works and like everything's going to work out all right because of that. Um, but yeah, I think one of the great things about travel is it kind of like forces you together in a way that is creates great enjoyment, but also creates like conflict and challenges that could like linger for a really long time. Like if you're only seeing each other, you know, on evenings and weekends, cause you're both working different places, you're both hanging out with your own friends. Some of these issues may never get addressed. Like you may never be the right time to talk about something that's bothering you um, for years and years and years until you, you know, you get a divorce or whatever. Um, but for us, it's like, okay, we, this stuff's going to come up because you're staying in the same, like one bed private room at a hostel or whatever. <laughs> and so we had to figure out like, okay, because we don't have space, because we are spending so much time together and these conflicts arise, like how can we actually address them? And so we actually had to like read some books and like practice that and work on that. Do you have any book recommendations for people that might be? Yeah, I think one of the best books I've ever read, and this is like, this helped me like not only with my relationship with Ryan, but like friends, challenging people at work, my parents, my brother. Um, It's called Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. And it teaches um, like positive communication and also empathetic listening. So it's just as important to listen as it is to be heard in any type of conflict. Um, But I read it while we were in kind of the end of 2014 and into the time that we were in Canmore and it's kind of weird at first because it teaches you like a new way to communicate in terms of communicating your feeling or feelings or reflecting other people's feelings but I remember I tried it with a girl that I worked with and then it like kind of just worked and I was like okay like this this works yeah it's one of those things that I think most people you start reading that book and it just feels really weird it feels like I don't know maybe you'd say like this is like really like hippie stuff or this seems like people might have some type of reaction that pushes them away from doing it. But if you just approach it kind of like earnestly and they're like, oh, I'm going to read this and try it. It's really weird because it's almost like a, like a magic spell type book of like, if you just read through it, there's some like simple principles. And then if things like, you know, not using judgment or how to identify when you're speaking and making a observation versus a judgment. So instead of saying something like, um, example but like uh, an example might be like oh you do this all the time but it's like oh when you specifically did this one thing like you left your socks on the ground over there today that bothered me instead of making a generalization and a judgment um and people don't get upset about it or if you like hear someone when they are upset and can repeat to them what they're saying in a more neutral language they kind of just like immediately relax and so that book yeah is amazing and it's definitely something we don't like follow to a formula but we've kind of integrated some of those principles into That's how great. we communicate with each other so you read it first and then you recommended that he read it and yeah. it sounds like it's been really good yeah any other recommendations like one more um so i think that's like the one okay. um i'm reading it for that speci- for that specific i feel like that's kind of a pillar in terms of like a human operating manual um, I think another one that's kind of helped our relationships mostly like with ourselves but then kind of together was The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon, um, which again is a really kind of, it's a bigger book but it kind of just deals with like the pillars of or principles of 
your relationship with yourself. And part of that is obviously influences how you re- interact with other people. Um, and something we've kind of realized about travel is that travel is a very uh, good environment to build self-esteem. Um, has a lot of those factors that support uh, self-esteem development. And so that book I think was really helpful for both of us in terms of like figuring out some of the things that were issues for ourselves, which then became issues between the two of us. Yeah, like I think one of the things that about spending so much time together, and I think this shows up in any relationship, but particularly when you don't have that many other people around you and you spend all your time together, is that you know these, these things that you've just adopted from your childhood um, show up a ton the way that you interact in your life shows up like it's you know these I don't want to say the things that are like wrong with you because I don't feel like any of us are innately flawed but it's like you know these habits that we've had our whole lives just show up in all these different patterns that you have and I think that if you want to I guess like work on those you have to kind of reprogram yourself and I think that any type of self-development has to start with the self and then it reflects into your other relationships and the way that you work and interact with people. So yeah, that's, that was, that was the book I was thinking too as my second choice. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. I've got two more books on my list now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I was, Ryan discovered uh, six pillars of self-esteem first and my initial reaction was like, I have good self-esteem. I don't need to work on this, which is like the number one sign. If you're thinking that, you probably need to read the book. But honestly, even if you've done a lot of self-development and you do feel like your self-esteem's in a good place, like I've read that book a bunch now and I always draw something different from it just because I think that there are constantly things that we're like battling as humans, you know, even us digital nomads who live these really cool lives. (laughs) We yeah. still have stuff going on. So. We're always a work in progress. Yeah. 100%. In travel or at home, you know, anywhere we are. Yeah, for sure. Um, 100%. Yeah. And I have to say, just congratulations again two months ago. You, you've you been on this journey for so long together, and you got married. So congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah, we had a private elopement in our little hometown of, our little mountain town of Canmore. Um, everyone was said it had been a long time coming (laughs) for us we just really wanted to make sure that it was right for us so it was a good time to do it great well if you have any like what advice would you give to somebody that is thinking about trying to start this lifestyle I mean you've given us this beautiful story and picture of like what it is to fight convention and just do the thing graduate from college that everybody tells you to do but then do it your own way Mm -hmm. yeah I guess so for me I'd say I think with a lot of stuff, it's theoretically better to have a plan. Like when we talk about like the idea of like, oh, you want to be a nomad? Well, it's great to have some savings and maybe start a side gig first. Like that all makes sense and is 100% true. But for a lot of people, just like the way we work, like sometimes you just need to like make a leap into the unknown. And for us, a lot of the stuff that is working for us now and has allowed us to like do what we do was not built off a plan. It was like, we just got to this point where we're like, you know, screw this, we're quitting our jobs and going traveling, no plan. And then we came home and we're like, oh, forget it, we're not continuing with our career, we're going to work at, like, cafes. Uh, and then we're like, oh, we're going to start a podcast because that would be fun. And then those things all kind of, like, started snowballs that branched out and turned to different directions. That was, like, three different metaphors crammed into one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's like maybe, you know, you plant a tree, you don't know what's going to happen and then it grows. So um, yeah, it's great to have a plan. It's great to have some savings, all that stuff. But sometimes if you're like, have thought for a year, like, oh, I really want to do this, but you haven't taken those steps, like you haven't really saved that much money or you haven't really started a side hustle, maybe it is best to just say, screw it, I'm booking a flight, I'm quitting my job, I'm going to like put the pressure on myself and I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, a good piece of advice depending on the person. I definitely feel like the way you entered digital nomad life, Becky, is a lot more or a lot less stressful than I feel like the way that we kind of just jumped in. But it also has to do with my personality as well. Like yeah, everybody yeah. has their I, I have that like I've always wanted to make sure I could completely do it on my own because I've been on my own on this journey. Yeah. And I didn't want to call my mom and, and move back in her basement. Like yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I had that fear that I didn't want to have to burden her. So I was really yeah. maybe overly careful, you know. No, I think uh, it's I think it's good to like know how you operate and what's going to make you like the least stressed. I definitely feel like I have bits of both, like kind of the way Ryan operates, and then I also relate a lot to you know what you're saying. And 
I think that, you know, at points there's been like, oh God, like, how am I going to make money next month? Like, I really don't want to call my parents either and be like, this isn't working, transfer me money, please. (laughs) And admit that sort of defeat. But um, I feel like part of that pressure too has always like kept me going like this sort of like, I don't want to, you know, have to go back home and tell my friends and family that what I was doing wasn't working. So that's like, you know, the type of thing that drives me every single day was to just be able to like prove to myself and to others that I can make it work. But I think that if you have any type of inkling that something in your life is not serving you, or I guess doesn't feel right. Like, I think that we kind of know we've got this like intuition, kind of like Ryan was talking about at the beginning, like, I'm not going to stay in this town forever. And I had the same thing too. Or like, if you have sort of a draw to go experience the world, you do kind of have to just trust a little and dive in. And I think that one of the best ways that you can kind of, you know, I guess support yourself in doing that is start meeting people who are doing it. Because I think that, you know, the times that it was really challenging for us were the times when I feel like we didn't have the support. And I'm really grateful that we had each other throughout all of it because I don't think that I could have made a lot of those changes on my own without the support of anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. like. I just wasn't like strong enough within myself at that point to keep pushing through. Like there was a lot of days where, you know, Ryan's like, we can do this. Oh. And I was like, but nobody else believes in us. And it's like, we got to believe in ourselves. So I think that, you know, join Facebook communities, pick places that are going to have other people who are traveling, you know, go on a group tour. Like if it's a G adventure or something like that, where you can meet people who are inspired to see the world and, you know, anything where you can kind of get yourself surrounded with people with a similar mentality to what you're looking for is going to make it so much easier. And then, you know, along the way, just think about like, what do I like doing? What makes me excited in the morning? And look at how you can build skills that you can monetize on. Because I think that, you know, we're really lucky that we live in this digital age, like 2019 going into 2020 is, you know, we have opportunities to make money doing anything. I saw a meme the other day on Instagram that was like, um, it was like laptop plus Wi-Fi equals like money symbol or something like that. And it's really true. Like people make money doing so much different stuff now. So I think that it's like if you have skills, which everyone does, and you have passions, which everyone does, you can make money from your laptop. So I think it's just about finding that community and those people who are going to support you and actually getting there. Um, you know, on that journey where you're really uncertain about if you can actually do it yourself. Yeah, and if you don't have the skills, you can pay someone else to help you do them as well. Yeah. It depends how much money you've got, but there are people ready to help you. Yeah, um, for sure. Create your dreams online. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know how to build a website and you're not techie, you know, find somebody who's also, you know, a digital nomad building websites and get connected with them and help, you know, have them help you do that. And then from there, start offering your skills, whatever it might be. Like, we, we all have skills. So I think it's just tuning into, like, what excites us and then figuring out you know, what people are going to be willing to pay us for. Like we have done some random, random jobs to make money. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just so many random opportunities out there. And as this nomad and like location independent workforce continues to grow, there's going to be more and more. And I, I feel that our community definitely loves to help each other. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much for, yeah, thank you for, for having coming. Us. I'm so glad to finally be able to interview you guys after hearing so many of your amazing podcast episodes. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank this has you. been so fun. Yeah, and as you may have gathered, listeners, um, you can go to the World Wonders podcast. Um, are, there, are there any specific links that people yeah, should so check it's out? Theworldwonders.com is the website, or just search The World Wonders on whatever podcast app you use. Um, and then for me, yeah, you can find out more about stuff I'm working on at ryanaferguson.com. Yeah, and I'm amandakingsmith.com. Or if you like yoga or yoga business, it's Mastering the Business of Yoga uh, on any podcast app or nbomyoga.com. Thank you, guys. All right, let's go and celebrate Day of the Dead. Yeah, let's go get some tacos. <laughs> All right. Amanda and Ryan, what can I say? You guys are so inspirational and really a testament to the power of how that feeling of freedom that you get on the road can give you the courage to build a life on your own terms. The fact that you've been able to do it together for almost 10 years is even more impressive. And I'm definitely going to check out the books that you've recommended, Nonviolent Communication and The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. We are always learning, and it's important to always be open to improving ourselves. All of the links for Ryan and Amanda's podcasts and personal projects are on our website at theschooloftravels.com. And now for this week's travel quote, 
by Matthew Karsten, which I think ties in very well to the way things have worked out for Ryan and Amanda. Matthew says, investment in travel is an investment in yourself. I think many people think the opposite of this is true, and they encourage other people not to waste all their money traveling. But as you heard in this episode, you really can build a steady and sizable income from the things you learn and teach yourself while on the road. As Ryan says, sometimes you just have to take the leap. I'll see you in the next episode, listeners, my last one from Mexico. And I'm keeping the topic a surprise, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this world.